I'm Frederick Gerten, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farhan, and I'm the advocate. So, uh, Miss Advocate Leilani, Ottawa, I guess a lot of snow. So much snow. So much snow. Is it? So much snow. I can't even tell you. So um, you're a kind of a short girl, so it means that when you walk, people don't see you. Correct. Incognito. (laughs) (laughs) Incognito. Yeah, here in Malmö, Sweden, there is no snow, but it's still kind of boring. Dark? Is it still dark? Uh, It's it's dark, yeah. Mm. Um, So you've been to press conference today? I was. I just got back from a press conference on a issue totally unrelated to my housing work. Well, not totally unrelated, but last weekend just now marks the one-year anniversary of when my city was occupied by these big trucks, this convoy of trucks. And I've been sitting with some colleagues holding hearings to receive testimonies from residents who never had an opportunity to talk about the impact on their lives the impact on their human rights, actually. And so today we released our first report. We're, we have two reports. So I was at a press conference. Because I remember that it was quite scary, wasn't it? Was. It was. I mean, it's it was awful. very aggressive. Yes. And your your son was in school in town and had all this. Uh, you, have to, you have to be there. Yes. Yes. Crazy. It was crazy. One year ago, and now we're in a different situation. Yeah. What's happening um, with you over there in Malma? Over here, I'm, you know, I've been working on a new film. Yes. It's been hard to do it due to the same pandemics, but it's now almost done. So we're in the final mix and, and the music is coming in from Florencia in Paris. And it's exciting. getting there. Exciting. So, and so soon there might be some news coming out. Great. Very soon. I look forward to that. And the film is called Breaking Social. So it's like, in one way it's push, but even further, like about the breaking of the social contract. Amazing. The contract, the ideas that we have to follow, the normal citizens and who the super rich are not following and and the consequences of that. So you can imagine that the same black stones that we always talk about are are kind of hanging over this this story too. So Blackstone, what happens with those guys? News of the day. Horrific, actually. The Financial Times reported today that Blackstone has filed eviction lawsuits against hundreds of tenants across the U.S. And why? You remember, Frederick, we talked that they were running into some economic problems in December. Well, they are assuring their investors that these evictions should restore confidence in the cash flow growth of Blackstone's housing portfolio off the backs of tenants. And they're very blunt about it, very bold. It's reported in the Financial Times as if the human right to housing doesn't exist, as if housing isn't fundamental to human well-being. Like, no no contemplation of the disaster this causes to a family or an individual when they lose their home. But Leilani, you have to understand that they have invested money and somebody has to, to pay them back for their investments, to pay the rent, to pay the interest rates. That's how it works. That's how it works. It's just the system working the way the system works. It's just the system. Yeah. It's nothing personal. Nothing personal. Yeah. Anyway, I got 
I got um, an email from a friend in Belgrade, mm. Melania, Melania Stoin. She works for Five Star Distribution, which is the distribution company that showed push on cinemas in Serbia. And they also promised to show my, my next film, so look out for it when it comes. And she said that Belgrade, I mean, we know that Belgrade, Serbia, which is a beautiful city, very funky and a very interesting cultural life, and it sits very nicely on the river, but the, the situation is worse than ever. And this bad situation is due to the war in Ukraine. So you know that there is about 900,000 Russians who have left their country after the invasion of Ukraine. And this has had a lot of effect on, for example, in um, Georgia, I mean, in Tbilisi, Georgia, the, the real estate went up 210% this year, 210%. I mean, and, and uh, the housing prices in Antalya, Turkey, where there's a lot of direct flights from Russia is up 94%. And of course, this is uh, something that affects the people who live in these places. Even if I'm, I'm, my heart is also with Russians who are leaving their country too, because they don't want to fight the war. But we're going to talk about how this has affected Serbia and Belgrade. And with us, we have two friends, Giovanna Timotijevic and Marko Akcentijevic, who are working at the Ministry of Space Collective, a, a group of architects, urban planners, and political scientists who are defending people uh, who are put in complicated situations due to all this money floating in. So welcome to Pushback Talks, uh, Giovanna and Marco. Thank you. So how, how is it? What, what is on top of your mind when I mention this now? What, is, what do you talk about? Yeah, I mean, so the thing that uh, I guess is a good side of all this thing is that uh, finally the housing situation is being debated in Serbia. I mean, ever since we, like, you know, housing went into the, you know, a private sector and like, you know, the, became the, you know, your own fate, there has been always difficulty to raise the, you know, housing affordability, housing quality, like all these as an issue and uh, this situation so the, the estimates is like some 180,000 people that arrived to to Serbia predominantly in Belgrade and something in, in Novi Sad out of which is like 150,000 is uh, Russians and then like some Ukrainians and some Belarusians and also significantly I mean like so the, I would imagine there is even more people in Tbilisi but in Belgrade it's mostly the people from the IT industry. So quite wealthy, I mean, especially in, in Serbian standards and, you know, able to afford uh, rents that are much higher than like, you know, the usual rents or even the average salary in Serbia. So like this really like, you know, skyrocketed the, the rents, like, you know, they Official figure is that they increase like 30%, but like in, in reality, it's doubled and, and, and tripled. And this like caused a lot of people to have to move out of the apartments, to have to go back to their parents, uh, to have to move to another city and like, you know, in, in all different ways, look for a solution. But it also like, you know, finally sparked some, some talk. Mm. Giovanna. What is also something that is very much a symptom 
uh, of, of our entire society in this particular situation is that we are always, or I mean, the dominant narrative is that there is always somebody else who is to blame for, for the crisis. Yes, uh, all this, what Marco said, is happening. It's very alarming. It's very, it's, it's an urgency of its own, but it's also a consequence of a larger crisis or, or a longer crisis that has been here for, let's say, 30 years, like a um, since the big privatization, uh, the large privatization of, of the, the housing stock, public housing stock, and uh, this whole paradigm shift from the socialist Yugoslavia to this kind of semi-periphery capitalism. Uh, but uh, what is happening is that actually something that is very uh, in a condensed okay change with all these thousands of people coming into Belgrade, they're coming to an, a very unregulated system and a system that has already been suffering from unaffordability. So we are also trying to convey this message that it's not the Russians or Ukrainians or anyone. It's already the system itself that is weak or fragile or unjust. And this is just a, a final punch to it. Yeah, I mean... I've been quite a few times to Belgrade and I really love the city and it's it's funky and of course you walk around and you see the old factories that were bombed out by the by NATO uh, in the end of the, the Bosnia war and, and so I mean you can see the, the city has a lot of scars but it's also when I when I talk to people I understand it's almost like a a wild west capitalism. It's very unregulated. I, I read that 70% of, of the business of buying apartments is done with cash money. And of course, then it's impossible to know where the money comes from. Um, I mean, normally that will also mean that it's criminal money. So it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's difficult, but it's not all of, of course, not all criminal. And we also know that the, the average income in Serbia is around 640 euros and the price of the square meter is now up to 2,000 euros. What do you say, the square meter, Leilani? You were, as a UN reporter, you were in Serbia in 2015 to look into the situation, invited by the government of Serbia. Yes. Um, one of the things I think we, it's worth saying to our listeners is I was shocked when I went to Serbia to learn, I guess I didn't really think about, okay, what would happen when communism or socialism fell? You know, when, when it ended, what would happen in terms of housing? It never dawned on me. I learned that, of course, for so many people who were living in apartments, they were immediately offered the opportunity to purchase and for like 20 euros, you know, or like small amounts, they could purchase their apartments. This is the downside. We see in Serbia the downside of home ownership because as has been described, they, they did this and then they were completely abandoned. So no regulations, no upkeep for the properties, no money to upkeep the properties themselves, etc. And so this Wild West feeling that has just been described, I really witnessed that, like people living in apartment buildings near factories that are no longer operating, and so they no longer have an income, and yet, yay, they own their home, like as if that's a good thing, when in fact it has lots of detrimental impact. I didn't know this about 
like how deregulated it is and maybe you can talk about it. So there's no tenant protections, like no protection on how much a landlord or owner could raise the rent. Uh, well, let's just go a bit back into explaining the the context. So you like the the average salary increased a bit, but so did the the price of the of the square meter in comparison to what Frederick just uh, just gave. And but the the point is that like you know the buying a real estate becomes you know stays quite inaccessible to ninety five to ninety percent of the population, even through the loan or like you know in any other needs. So in that sense, like this, like you know, seventy percent cash buying uh, is also a part of. I mean, although there is like a lot of money laundering, it's not as big as you would uh, imply, because like you know, it's often the people like you know save up the money and so then they like buy apartment because like you know there is no other uh, capital market in Serbia. So I mean, you know, in a way, like you know, it is uh, incentivized that you invest into the real estate. Between because it keeps growing much faster than your money sitting on the bank account or, or whatever else. And then another situation is that, like, you know, when a family sells apartment, then they buy, like, you know, a couple of smaller ones. So that's also, like, a cash uh, uh, cash buyers. But, like, the, the, the general composition of the ownership is, like, 97% of people own, uh, 90%, 97% of apartment is owned by the individuals. So we don't have uh, Blackstone and, like, you know, any of these, like, you know, big companies, uh, partially due to the fact that also a taxing system is stimulating uh, any a big landlord to be renting out but a lot of personal economies are relying on the on these like you know renting the like you know second third or fourth or whatever other apartment that they have and as you rightly pointed out this is like completely left out of the of the any regulation you know there is like you know a general statement in the law that like you know there should be a contract but like you know these contracts in principles are not being made and even when they are made like you know if if you don't uh, and like we've seen this a lot in recently like you know if you don't uh, they are like usually made on very short term so it's like year or like two years so if you know your landlord is increasing like midway through your one year contract the, the rent like you know you can you know you can say okay like you know i'm not accepting we have a contract but then you have to leave in like six months so like you know you are again pushed into the situation in which, okay, it's better to negotiate now than be uh, on the street, like, you know, when prices go even wilder. But Giovanna, you, of course, have a lot of friends in Belgrade. So this is something everybody talks about that, oh, I have to leave my apartment because they want to push up the rent. Or is this like the, the topic of everybody's lips right now we have friends and we have also colleagues from from these organizations who had to move because their rents were increased like 50 or 100 percent in like one month and they had no no options uh, to fight but just to either uh, say yes to the increase or just to leave the place and we also have people who as marco initially uh, mentioned also moved from Belgrade to either the suburbs or you know, the nearby towns. So it's something that is very realistic. And actually, um, it, it is a fact that in the media, there are a lot of stories about 
this abusive relation between the landlord and the tenants and this complete uh, lack of protection of tenants' rights. But at the same time, what is, what is unfortunate in a way is that no stories tackle the role of the state in this entire situation. Mm. Yeah, it, can I just say a short thing before, Leila? Yes, uh, please. And then we can talk about the state. Yeah, please. Because for Serbia and for Georgia and for Turkey and for the other countries where floods of Russians are coming in now, like, uh, I, I saw that in, in, in Serbia there is 2,300 new Russian companies set up in a year. So, I mean, it's, it also means growth and business for, for the countries and the economies are, are growing. And that's fine, of course. And I, we can also respect the Russians that they want to leave. But if there is this in combination with no protection to the tenants, it's, of course, horrible. Leilani. Yeah, I mean, I was going to talk about the idea of there not being tenant protections is very much about the failure of governments to be accountable to tenants and dwellers. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, Giovanna, this idea that that the state just lets things happen and never, not just like that they might be pointing the finger at bad landlords, bad owners, but never points the finger back at themselves. They never say to themselves, oh, we have human rights obligations, for example, and we need to do something about this situation. The opposite, I mean, from the little I've read, it's like they're inviting in foreign money, Russian money, to actually flood your market in like so they're they're in fact proactively doing what they shouldn't do and they aren't taking the steps that they should to protect tenants absolutely right uh, generally there is a tendency to be very uh, benevolent to the investors in the housing sector because it's considered the housing sector is considered as like a mechanism for producing wealth Although, of course, as it happens in capitalism, this wealth is not redistributed equally okay, to, to all the citizens. But still, uh, there, is a systemic, um, there is a systemic weakness point for the investors and also for everybody else from abroad uh, or locally who wants to invest. So as some kind of uh, balance to it, there is no protection of the, the, the tenants or there is also no alternative to the market arena okay where where we all fight with with the investors so there is absolutely as marco said we have over 95 percent of private ownership over housing yes it's individual but it's still private ownership and it's potentially it's in the, on the market and as opposed to that there are no alternatives no cooperative housing and also public housing is decreased to like one percent and in 30 years we can we can say maybe 100 or 200 social housing units have been built which is completely disproportional to what is in the market so the russians arrived to a crisis and and it made it even worse i recall when i was there and i was discussing with government the need for social housing that it was a completely almost like taboo conversation because of the history of socialism and communism there. And so so it's like a, a complete 
catch for for low-income people, people who don't have a big income. Because, of course, we know globally that every state needs to continue to provide social housing. There will always be people who need social housing and that kind of support. And you can't have a political context where it's taboo to talk about that because those most vulnerable people will fall through the cracks. You can obviously say that capitalism has not been very successful because during the old time, during Yugoslavia era, everybody had a place to live and it was quite decent. Yeah, I mean, very much so. Like, very interestingly, so now uh, this, like, you know, housing in affordability is finally something that nobody can ignore. I mean, like, you know, it's happening. Uh, and so, like, you know, even like these, like, different, like, political actors need to have, like, some, uh, some stand. And then, like, you know, the government, you know, the ruling party, and also, like, a lot of op oppositional parties, and especially those that were in power, uh, you know, from... 2000s and up until like some like 10 years ago, uh, they are now all saying how like states should like, you know, build more housing. And this is like a very cynical because like, you know, they've all been in the position to, you know, do something about this. But now when like, you know, state actually needs to do something much more uh, imminent and like, you know, effective to address the, the situation that like a lot of people is in now that they cannot afford the housing in big cities. And this, you know, this affects even like social mobility because like, you know, people cannot now like study in Belgrade because like if you don't get a student dormitory, that's it. Like, you know, no, you know, no family can afford to pay, you know, almost, you know, average salary for uh, like a student to, to co-share the apartment in the, in the Belgrade. So, I mean, it's really like, you know, a huge crisis, which like, you know, uh, uh, still like, you know, politicians and state especially are not, you know, recognizing to the full extent and taking the, the serious measures. Like the only political option that propose a, a plan that would respond to the, the current situation is uh, don't let Belgrade drown, which is this you know, political movement that was fighting the Belgrade Waterfront project at the time and now turned into the more of a, like a political party kind of entity that basically suggested to, to introduce uh, a rent control. Uh, you know, very similar to, to what exists in the, in the West. I mean, maybe more strict, especially for the proposal. And then this was met like, you know, this is no, 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 you cannot do this. Like, you know, the private property is like, you know, the sacred and like, you know, and, it, you know, it, it's again, like, you know, very cynical, like, you know, the state is at the same time, you know, expropriating state, like, you know, telling you what you can do and what you cannot do with everything else. But once when it comes to, to like, you know, renting out, like, you know, your sixth apartment to like, you know, to somebody who is in the dire need of the roof over their head, like this is, uh, you know, out of the, of, of the limit. Marco, you mentioned this action group that was really, really strong. The protests were really strong about this building of the waterfront uh, development uh, by the river. Whenever I'm in, Bel in Belgrade, I always bike by the river. It's very beautiful. But then suddenly it shoots up a big investment, really ugly, shitty, horrible, by some Middle East money. So that is like a, a speculation site. And there was a very strong movement fighting it. But of course, now it's it's there. Um, but you, what you're saying is that the same movement is now mounting these this claims for, uh, 
for uh, rent freeze and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the. I mean, I'm saying I'm giving you like the spectrum of the of the of the political parties, and like there is only one standing out, and this is like the same movement that grew out of the of the fight against the the waterfront, and even the fight against this like waterfront project. Uh, which is, I mean, just like the most blunt speculative project that we had, I mean, is very representative of the ways, you know, Belgrade and I guess like other cities in the similar uh, positions are being developed. And that is that like, you know, if you have money, like, you know, you can build like, you know, the building in the shape of, you know, the, you know, giraffe on their head like you know there is like really no limit to to what you what you can what you can build uh, and but what is you know important to understand for our story here is that like you know most of these apartments are actually like you know second third fourth fifth seventh tenth uh, apartment that somebody is buying in order to you know either like you know park their money or like you know make money out of like you know renting them and this is also like you know one of the things that like we have to have in mind when like you know seeing how to address this thing like ever since the social Yugoslavia and like you know massive like housing stock uh, build up there hasn't been like this much development yet like you know we are developing empty apartments like you know like when you look at like and now we just recently got like a census statistics like you know there is like you know much more apartments some more of the households but like you know there is like significantly more of empty apartments than there is of those so, hang on hang on marco this is now a lot <laughs> so you, we have <laughs> we have a housing crisis the rents are going straight up people in belgrade is can't stay in town. If you want to get divorced, no way. You have to stay with your abusive partner. Uh, if you if you are a student, there is no way to go. And and still, at the same time, there are empty apartments sitting as a place to park money. That's kind of fucked, isn't it? <laughs> what do you say, Leilani? <laughs> well, that's a good it's, description it's horrible. of it. it. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's really horrible. And, you know, I spent about over a year drafting these things that are now published called the shift directives. And so many, as you're talking, Marco, I'm thinking, oh my God, it would be so easy to curb this, to deal with this. There's so many good examples from cities around the world where cool things are happening to try to prevent these horror stories from happening, from taxing you know, very high second, third owned apartments to expropriating ap apartments that stay vacant for longer than 12 months. Or, you know, there's so many things that could be done. I'm interested to know um, if city government is at all responsive. The, the city of Belgrade, are they responsive? Are they doing anything? Um, Giovanna? No, they are not. That's a short answer. Uh, and the longer answer is that uh, actually the state has really put to practice uh, this kind of paradigmatic shift uh, from this social or the entire collective responsibility for housing, which was in the socialist Yugoslavia, to this very much individualized uh, responsibility for housing and for like for you know not having a home. And this is something that goes with with the role of the state because in strategical documents, that are mostly late, uh, that are being drafted like five years after the deadline, 
So that says a lot about the passive role of the state, but also even if you find some kind of nominal dedication of the state or you know this kind of expression of you know doing something about the unaffordability of housing in practice you find nothing and it's not only the ministry of space uh, collective it's like four or five organizations that we joined this uh, housing equality movement trying exactly what you said to uh, collect all the possible models and practices from abroad and also some of the models that we have um, had in the socialist period and try to actually really propose very concrete measures. One of which is what Marco said, you know, this rent control. But usually what we get from the government is really a big no. I mean, yes, there is some kind of explanation, but it's, it's really a big no. And it's actually usually from uh, those who are uh, dealing with the financial aspect of it. So, so housing, you know, resolving housing crisis is really a long-term dedication. And it, it does require some resources, for some measures more, for some less. But when we succeed in talking to some of the people from either from the city level or national level, from the institutions, they usually said that even when there is some kind of political will on this very local level, then you know the finances and the budget simply says no. Right. I'm I'm standing here and I'm thinking of, you know, because Serbia is of course um, still with the scars of the wars and and you know the economy affected by that and so on i think of ukraine now i really i really hope that they win uh, because we all need that but i can imagine uh, how easy it will be for the blackstones and the other you know for any big vulture fund to enter because the, the need of money will make it hard to regulate them. I mean, that's kind of, that's an advice to everybody now who loves Ukraine. Help them to to resist the vultures coming in and shop, you know, shopping up their country because it's so cheap. You know, they're, they're of course they're going to buy a lot of the farmland. They're going to buy you know whatever. I mean, so it's it's uh, you really need politics to defend the interest of the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not rocket science, of course. It's uh, it's actually just thinking: what do we need in this country? <laughs> what do people need? Well, and isn't Serbia still a candidate for the EU, wanting to become an EU country? And I mean, in order to be a member of the EU, you're to, supposed to have the right to housing in your constitution, and presumably, you could make very strong arguments that the right to housing is being completely undermined not at all implemented and that that is one thing that might bar serbia from becoming a member of the eu i don't know if it's still active discussion and if it's still active candidacy and whether you know how much weight that would have because it that would require other european countries <laughs> to then reflect right now it's it, right now it's complicated because serbia is still has open doors for for russia right i mean there are uh, of three flights a day from Moscow and, and into Belgrade, and of course. But I mean, EU is not really keen on pushing the right to housing as being, uh, the, you know, the condition for Lit- for the yes. 
So like, you know, there is like, there is a long list of criterias and like, you know, I went through it like several of times. I've never seen housing mm -hmm. as, as, as a concern of the Brussels mm -hmm. in these accession talks. Uh, yeah, but Marco, that's what you need to do. You need to make it a condition. <laughs> yes. And we should actually connect you with uh, Kim van Sparentak and the, the, yeah. this Dutch uh, member of parliament who we had uh, in our podcast also. So there are some progressive forces. I mean, European Union is a very neoliberal project. Yes. Uh, so it's, of course, those things are not high up, but it's, it's happening now that more and more people understand that... The, the right to housing is something that they actually have missed out with and they need to get back because it is not only a crisis in Belgrade, it's a crisis in every every European city. Yes. And and the citizens are suffering and that's their electorates. And, and like you mentioned that a lot of your friends are talking about this, the same happens in, in our countries. Everybody is under stress, even if, of course, uh, the Belgrade situation is totally out of hands. So it's, it's, of course, it's even, it's, it's worse in that sense. So I, we, I think we should wrap up yes. because we've been talking for, for some time. It's been, I mean, I'm really happy that you're sharing your stories with us and, uh, Minister of Space, what is your, the big struggle of the day? Do you have something you could share with us? Yes, uh, we have several fronts, fighting fronts. One, maybe the most urgent or the most uh, current is actually like the master plan of Belgrade, which also indirect, I mean, uh, indirectly also tackles the, the matter of housing, uh, but also other privatizations or other aspects of commodification of space, including uh, land, uh, so we are actually, it's a, it's a 20 year plan for the development of Belgrade and it's being um, developed and it should be adopted this year, most probably. And so we are trying to, from the look of it, from the concept of it, it looks as if it's only going to intensify the commodification further when it comes to public services, when it comes to land. So what we are trying to do is to uh, rise the temperature within the wider public uh, around this strategic plan and to, in a way, tackle all these different manifestations that we are all going to uh, feel in like 10 or 20 years uh, if this kind of massive privatization happens. Cool. Feel free to use push in that debate and, of course, use Leilani's human rights um recommendations to to your politicians thank you thanks for having us thank uh, you very much good luck to all of us i guess yeah, yeah. yes exactly yeah. good luck to all <laughs> exactly. of us exactly <laughs> we we need that and yes. uh, i i must say leilani and it it is very inspirational to meet people uh, like uh, marco and giovanna and I, I i was in belgrade showing push and we were sitting and had a panel there's there are so many cool people out in the world fighting for these things. So it's it's an honor to be able to to let your voices out to to our audience, yeah. our growing audience, because we now have audience in 155 countries. It's a bit crazy. Crazy. Uh, crazy. But, but it, is, it is a real pleasure to hear you speak so expertly about your own country and place and to be so active in trying to challenge things to make things better. It's inspiring. We're in it together. We're all in it together. <laughs>
So, Leilana, should we just wrap up? We should. What are we normally saying in the end of this Well, show? you know, there's this a... small question of how we resource this little podcast of ours. <laughs> yeah. How do we resource it, Frederick? <laughs> yeah, we've been asking people, friends, listeners, to, to join us on something called Patreon. It's a way where you can lock in your credit card and then they can take $1 a month or $5 a month or 10 or 50 or 3000 Nobody has done that high, but... But still, where there is people supporting us, and it's a little contribution, we are, we are still uh, not really surviving on this. So we have but my company and your company has to, to provide for this. So please come in and, and help us out. And it also gives us energy to know that we have friends. Yes. We don't want to be one of those podcasts, Frederick, where in the middle of the podcast, I start telling you about health services that you can you, you can purchase <laughs> or, or some product you can buy. I've been listening to some podcasts and sometimes it's it's really irritating for the corporate sponsorship in the middle of the podcast. So we don't want corporate sponsorship. No. If you have mighty enemies, you need many good friends. That's and right. please be one of those friends and, and support us. Leilani, time to put on the the snow boots so you can walk out with your dog in the in the very high snow walls snow out boots, there. Snow pants, snow pants, <laughs> snow coat, snow hat. Oh my god. Poor girl. How can you survive up there? It's like No, it's you know, I'm easy. going skiing on um Friday. And of all wow. the days, it's going to be minus twenty-two celsius oh my god i know maybe i oh need to god. rethink yeah. my plans uh, you can always go to cuba or something <laughs> much better now there's a plan i'll meet you there <laughs> <laughs> friend thank you very much and um, see you soon pushback talks we'll be back won't we we'll be back bye frederick bye see you Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To support the podcast, become a patron by going to patreon.com slash pushbacktalks or follow us on social media at make underscore the shift and push underscore the film.